Hello, everybody. This is Jeremy coming to you from not my office. This is the Rio Grande Credit Union Field at Isotopes Park in Albuquerque. And uh, Ken and I are here on business, not at the, the park. But uh, we are in Albuquerque for the IFCA International Convention. And we've taken a, a bit of a respite from that to catch a baseball game because there's always a baseball game to catch. And we are watching the Albuquerque Isotopes play the Sugarland Space Cowboys. How's the game so far, Ken? It's a wonderful game. It's a beautiful evening for baseball. Blue, sunny skies. What an atmosphere. He said with gusto. We have uh, Winton Bernard at the plate, who's 0 for 2 tonight. He's hitting 322 in the year with 12 home runs. He looks like he has home run power. Uh, two balls, two strikes, one out. Here's the pitch. Ooh, throws the bat at it. It's a tapper up the first baseline, and the first baseman takes it to the base. Two outs. Well, uh, what we've done at the IFCA convention is we've actually had a series of short interviews with uh, people who were just walked by our booth. We have a booth this year, and we sat down with them for a few minutes each and had some interesting conversations. So it's a totally different episode, kind of an eclectic episode. Hope you enjoy, and there will be some more content from the conference coming out if it hasn't already. Not sure what order it will come out. But anything else you want to add to that, Kenny? I don't think so. I hope you enjoy the content. And go isotopes, huh? See you on the other side of the music. Neither Bethel nor Hillsong meet the biblical definition of a true church. Did you know that Jesus was born again? Is his view heretical? If it isn't, then there's no such thing as heresy. It's not just a black and white issue. There's an issue, there's a question of moderation and how damaging and how harmful things are. Not every act of divine revelation is equal in authority. Angelic forces, angelic reinforcement. I mean, it's, it's hard to even respond to that, isn't it? It's, it's mind-numbing, it's blasphemous. When the apostles use the word atonement, they do not depict an angry God. It's cryptic. It's watered down. It has nothing to do with the judicial aspect of the Christian gospel. The most important of all doctrines is that the Bible is the word of God. They have different ideas than you do. You don't have to automatically kick them out of the kingdom. Hello. We are here at the Pyramid Marriott. Last year was the Cornhusker Marriott. Now we're in. It's not actually shaped like a pyramid. I was disappointed. Well, it depends on again the kind of period uh, pyramid you're looking at. If yeah. you're going after uh, Egyptian pyramid or a Aztec pyramid. I, th- I thought a, I thought a pyramid was a geometrical. Def- I mean, I thought it was defined, locked in. A pyramid is a pyramid. That was only in ninth grade in your geometry class. Ah, okay, all right. Well, jumping in before he's introduced here is, and I'm gonna now I'm gonna punish you by putting your face. Now we're on your face, on the camera. Uh, <laughs> Cleggert Mitchell. What a name, Cleggert. Yeah. And you are at South County Bible Church in St. Louis. Correct. My, my name is, is family. Uh, on my birth certificate, it says Cleggert Charles Mitchell III. Oh. I could never convince anybody that I was royalty, but that's, uh, that's my full name. It's my grandfather, my great-grandfather. The, the third. Yeah. And I'm that's sure nice. one of the most common questions you get is, how do you spell that? Yeah, so it's it's uh, not only unique; it's odd. Uh, spelling is C L E G G U A R T. 
you need to, to really uh, to push that. Uh, now, see, here I'm trying to be a producer. This is our first time using this camera. Uh, you, you need to really push the third. Okay. I want to yeah. see, I want to see that go. more. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like the quarterback from uh, Washington a few yeah, years ago, right. RG3. Uh-huh. There you go. CM3. Yeah. CM3, yeah. I like that. Rolls off the tongue. Yeah. Well, w- you are wearing a red lanyard because you are on the board of directors. Correct. For the IFCA International. Yeah. And you're here at the convention. So how about you just tell us a little bit about uh, your church, your ministry, and your involvement with the IFCA? Sure. So um, I, I pastor South County Bible Church, as you mentioned, which is on the uh, south side of St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, it's a church that was actually founded by Obi Bodarf, who was best friends with Billy McCarroll. That was the St. Louis-Chicago connection that launched IFCA International. Um, and so that, that's the church that I am pastoring now. It has a long history, rich heritage uh, of, of ministry and connection with uh, IFCA. Uh, my part, I grew up in Iowa and uh, pastored a couple of churches there. And I've been heavily involved in IFCA pretty much my entire ministry. Um, so yeah, this is actually my second stint on the board. I was uh, surprised, blessed, uh, surprised to get elected back to the board. <laughs> Double surprised. Uh, yeah, because uh, we have such quality men and uh, guys who love the Lord and love the Word. And, and every year we have a ballot full of them. So I was pleasantly surprised last year to get to get back into this position. So. Um, Beautiful wife, Jenny, eight kids, five boys, three girls. Um, only eight. Only eight. Uh, oldest two boys are, are now married. Our, our son, Jordan, just provided us with our first grandchild. Amen. And uh, Miss Lucy stole my heart right out of the gate. And, and uh, you know, that's my happy place. So, um, but yeah, the church in St. Louis, there, there are a lot of good things happening and uh, a lot of, of growth potential. And uh, we're excited about that. Of course, we know there's a lot of need for ministry in St. Louis, being Cardinal country. Yeah, of course, go yeah, Cubs. Yeah. Uh, oh, so, dear. yeah, a lot, of, a lot of work, work that needs to be done there. Well, like I said, the IFCA began with two, two guys, one yes. from Chicago, one from St. Louis. There had to be some kind of love-hate or bipolar <laughs> something going on. <laughs> yes, a match made somewhere. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly right. So w- what does the IFCA mean to you? As someone who's an IFCA pastor, an IFCA board member, yeah. uh, especially in strange times with denominations in America. Mm. What does the IFCA mean to you? If someone's listening to this and has no idea what the IFCA is and just identifies with, you know, some things theologically that are similar to us, how would you explain that to them from a pastor's perspective? Sure, sure. Well, let let me back up one moment and just say, um, when I I was a a little boy, my family went to a Presbyterian church. Um, We got a little little bit older. My mom came to faith. Sorry, my mom came to faith. And... um, uh, as a result of that, we ended up, uh, we were living in a different town from the church we were attending, and we started going to an evangelical free church. Uh, spent all my growing up time there, and uh, had a pretty good idea that God was calling me to ministry. Thought I was going to be a part of that uh, for the duration. But before I got out of high school, the Lord started doing things in my own heart and life that were making me question exactly what direction I was going to go in. And um, so I actually found the IFCA through a, a pastor. Who, said, who presented certain doctrinal things that I didn't have a good grasp on. And as I began to understand those, I realized the IFCA was my home. That was the men, it was the churches that I identified with so much. I love my church where I grew up and, and the people there. No, nothing against that at all. But, um, but so 
that has only grown in my time in the IFCA. I've been a part of the IFCA for about 20 years. And uh, so the, the, the doctrinal stand is, is a big deal for me. Which, if you were to highlight one or two areas. Well, you know, the, the, um, the, the significance of the authority of the scriptures, so uh, the inerrancy of the scriptures, uh, the dispensational approach to the scriptures, a consistent hermeneutic when approaching the scriptures, um, along with a, a high regard for the local church and the significance of just gospel clarity and, and being evangelistic. Those are, those are the core things. That wasn't a very eloquent list, but that, those are the, kind of the core things <laughs> yeah. that... Well, that, but uh, that's from your heart, though, is what, what comes to mind yes. when you think of the IFCA. Yes, that's what, that is exactly right. Um, and that has expanded as I've gotten to know the various ministries and schools that are connected to the IFCA. Um, people always ask about the name, and the name changed years ago, uh, dropping the acronym and all of that. And, and um, the name gives us a connection to our rich heritage. And that's about it. Um, because it is the men, it is the churches, it is the missionaries, it is the agencies, those who have all said, here is a doctrinal statement that I can sign off on, that, that my conscience is clear, this, these are my convictions. And now we have freedom and grace to partner together. We may nuance some things differently, but we have the freedom and the grace to connect with one another and see what the Lord can do. Amen. Well, good. Uh, what what do you hope for for the future of your ministry, the future of IFCA International, the letters that stand for nothing? <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> what what is uh what, what's your hope as you as you look forward next five ten years? Sure, that's a great question. Um, you know, a lot of times as a pastor, there you get into conversations and you deal with things where um, we reminisce. And, and we talk about the past, and our temptation is always to romanticize the past. Fundamentalists are really good at that. They're professionals, <laughs> professionals about romanticizing the past. And now there is a place where we can, we want to have markers where we look back and go, this is what God did. And we glorify God for the things that he has done. There's a place for that. Um, but in my own ministry in St. Louis, one of the things that we started challenging and encouraging our people with a couple years ago that I've tried to share over and over here uh, with guys and as a part of, of IFCA and our movement going forward is I really believe that we need to stop saying, do you remember, mm. and start asking, can you imagine? Mm. We have a big God. That, that kind of sounds Joel Osteen-ish, Clay. Oh. <laughs> no. I don't accept that. I just that. made everything instantly I, uncomfortable. Yes, you did. Um, I can't, you know, the man missed his calling. He should have, he should have been a, a, a weatherman. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Probably would have been the world's most ineffective weatherman. Everything looks sunny again today, yes, guys. Yes. <laughs> How to have your best sunshine day. Yeah. So, so what are you imagining when you ask that question? Can you imagine, what are you imagining for the future of this movement? Well, I am imagining a, a steady increase in vibrance, passion for the gospel, but, but joy and vibrance. And, you know, we, we've heard this week um, that uh, hope is not the absence of struggle or hardship. Uh, hope is, is in Christ regardless of your circumstances. Well, we are bearers of that message. And so if that is our passion and these things that we can articulate as our uh, core beliefs and our, 
our, our structure for doing ministry, uh, there is no reason for us to not be uh, the, the most joyful people yeah. in the world. Mm-hmm. And when I say joy, I, I'm not talking happy right. because emotions go up and down. I'm talking about the stuff that just is consistent no matter what the wind is doing. And, and, and that kind of, for me, I see that as, for our fellowship, as being just excited about what God is doing. Last night, Bob Provost got up and told us all the stuff that God has done in Russia and Ukraine through Slavic Gospel Association. And I don't know how anybody could have sat there without their heart just filling, maybe their eyes getting a little moist. Mm. Uh, mm. But the joy of hearing what God is doing, we're a part of that. Yeah. We Amen. get to be a part of that. And uh, so to me, I, I, I would love to see that just contagious. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Very good. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us on the show. And Thank you for having me. He, he said awesome. he's stepping into the zone. That's yeah. what he called this session. Yeah. How do you feel now? I'm stepping out of the zone. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't scary. No. You did a great it, job. You know, it was good. I, I actually worked in radio when I was a young guy. Oh, good. And so this isn't completely foreign. You two are a little bit intimidating because I never know what's going to come. But uh, that's I think that's of, mostly me, probably. I, I'm not pointing any fingers. Uh, but he is a Cubs fan. Well, I'll point fingers. Yeah. We were intentional about... Uh, Deciding which questions not to ask. So I gotcha. I yeah. gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I, I do have a question for you. With yeah. all the little ribs about the the uh, Cubs and the Cards. Yeah. Do you know what a Cubs fan does after a win? Ken already shared this with me. Oh, okay. Yeah. So and the answer it. is, I don't know. To which you say, neither do they. Uh-huh. <laughs> but but he shared it. He he told you. Oh yeah, yeah he yeah, did. That's good. He did. Hey, uh, which of these teams has won a World Series more recently? <laughs> Okay. Yeah, all yeah, right. I'll give you that. <laughs> Which of these teams wins more than one World Series every hundred years? Yeah. Okay. Which team has their... Uh, <laughs> We're going to stop now. Their <laughs> <laughs> quit quit t- making this all secular, Ken. Yeah. All right, we are now joined by uh, Damien Efta, pastor of... Le- uh, Church of the Open Door. Church of the Open Door in Leavenworth, Kansas. The, the place with the jail. The place with the jail, that's right. Jails. Yes. Multiple <laughs> jails, yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your ministry there, and mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Um, well, just you know, background of myself. I I, I grew up in a Roman Catholic church uh, and was saved when I was about nineteen mm-hmm. uh, in college. Uh, went off to college, uh, did uh, did an engineering degree, went into the Marine Corps, uh, and about that time is when the Lord kind of led me, you know, out of all that uh, into ministry. So left and did some seminary work. Served as a in uh, in Poland as a church planter, mm. and, and that's kind of where, you know, again, growing up a Roman Catholic, not really exposed to certainly our type of churches. Mm. So I kind of cut my I like to say I cut my ministerial teeth in Poland mm. with church planting and, and theological education. So that's mm. kind of developed all of my attitudes and, mm. and and opinions about church planting. Okay. You, you then, look like you could be Polish. I am actually Polish. Okay. All right. <laughs> Eastern European. It, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, and, uh, and we've been in Leavenworth now 23 years. We, so we went from Poland to Leavenworth. And, and so just kind of brought all of that kind of along. That's just, that's just all we knew about ministry was those type of things. And what year was that? 99, we moved to Leavenworth. What kind of culture shock was that? Poland to Leavenworth, Kansas. Yeah, not, you know, I mean... Yeah, I mean, I grew I grew up in Minnesota. My wife in Iowa, so Midwesterners not a, not a big deal. Okay, but, all right. But, but it was again having not having not been 
raised in the in the good Bible church movement. Yeah, I mean it was there was a learning curve for us. Like I say, we probably we brought a lot of Polish ministry mindset mm. simply because that's where we learned it. Yeah. And uh, and I think in some sense that was good. We mm. we brought a few new things and we had to rethink a few things, okay. So, so all in all, it was an interesting mix that I think the Lord has, 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 has used. Mm-hmm. Good. Now, a number of years ago, you guys did a church plant out of your church. Uh, what year was that launched? You know, uh, it's 10 years just, just in, a, in about a week or so. Oh, great. About wow. a month. Mm-hmm. Praise mm-hmm. God. Yeah. Now, tell us a little bit about that experience. What led you to pursue a church plant? Was uh, I'm assuming the church was growing and uh, just some of the details. And then talk about the, just the vision and the mission for why... Why is this something you've pursued? Yeah. Um, the, uh, the, the reason that one happened 10 years ago was, uh, was because we had, uh, we had, we, we had begun setting ourselves up for church, for church planting and uh, had some few things we wanted to do. The church was growing, and so we wanted to, uh, to accomplish a few things, not just to plant one church, but to get into a cycle. Uh, and at that particular point, we weren't quite ready for the cycle. Are the cycle at that point? Right now, we are. We are now beginning kind of more of a every couple year pushing mm. out. Um, but at that point, uh, we were we were we were ready to. Uh, the, the guy who was the uh, associate pastor was was ready to to do more, and so we we launched that church plan. It was a mother daughter. And we're not uh, talking about satellite where you're beaming no, no, your no, face no, in. No, 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 no. You've no, got no. a local pastor there who's leading that work. It's an independent church. You know, let me let me just <laughs> let me just get on a hobby horse, Ken, and say, and, and people may get, well, and you can cut this from the podcast. <laughs> no if, editing. If, if, no here. editing here. Yeah. You know, the greatest declaration of failure is a big church that doesn't have at least one other guy that can go to their satellite and preach, but they have to. But they have to pipe in. Mm. That's the that's to me. It's the biggest declaration of a failure of leadership in training up men that mm. nobody else can handle the word. So, yeah. so we are fundamentally against that. What what we were is very much, uh, and, and this was a, a decision that we had to talk talk through with the elders, kind of kind of bring bring this through. I would say when I first came to the church, it was a typical mindset that good churches grow. And why in the world would you not want to go from 200 to 300 to 400, 600? Why in the world would you not want? It doesn't make sense. And I had some very, very godly men who had a real question. Well, this just doesn't seem to make sense. And so there was a little bit of education time that went through. But the fundamental thing that, that tried to, you know, to talk through and educate through was that, uh, and, and then for all of us to come to consensus on, was that Leavenworth, where we are, you know, would be better served with 10 churches of 200 than one of 2,000, mm-hmm. right? And, and so that kind of is the fundamental thing about it. We, we set a limit. This is what we think is a good size for the mother church, and we're not going to go any bigger. And, and so we, that, that's, that's why we've been church planting, and, and we're getting ready to hire a guy right now, another associate pastor, and his job will be in about a year from now, to go to the next location. Wow. Well, that's what I was going to ask about if you had set a number limit or, or goal number for the next plan and all that. What about finances? Because that's obviously the other side of that. Uh, church plants take resources. That's human capital and financial capital. Mm-hmm. How do finances play out with such an endeavor? 
you know, we have just, you know, we're, uh, when we did the, the first one in Baser, uh, we did a mother-daughter. So we, we had the associate pastor. He'd been with us for seven years or so. And, uh, and we, we recruited, recruited, we invited people from the congregation to join. And we had about, I think it was about 30 people that went down with him. We, as the mother church, you know, as the elders, we determined that, you know, we would, we would ensure the financial stability for, I think it was four or five years we were taking on that. that In reality, we never supplemented the income at all. That wow. the, the, they had a good group of people that went with them, and from day one, uh, they, were, they were financially um, solvent and, and has been that way wow. um, from, from the beginning. Uh, for the next one that we're looking at, Again, whether 30 people will go with them or not is is kind of up to up to you know the winds of the day, but uh, but we will just fund it from the general fund budget. We you know we've we, we just we're able to. I mean you know when you get when you get to a certain point if you know, if you keep your other your other expenses low you know you can you can do that. So it's so that's what we're going to do. We're just going to fund it. What would you say is the secret sauce here? Because every <laughs> every church that has godly intentions wants yeah. to grow and reproduce, yeah. and you're doing it. Uh-huh. So, I mean, obviously, we are all reliant on God's sovereign grace here. Mm-hmm. Yet at the same time, we have stewardship responsibilities that we're called to employ wisdom and ministry. Mm-hmm. So can you put your finger on one, two, three things that, uh, that have helped through the years? I think the um, and there's probably a couple of different areas um, as far as growing the church. I mean, you know, part of that depends on where you are. You know, where, where is your church? You know, we're in Leavenworth, which isn't a big city, but it, but there's still a lot of people there. I mean, if we were in a, we were out in the middle of Kansas, it'd yeah. be different. If but, you were in Ellis or Hayes, Kansas, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so there, there's some of that, but, but fundamentally, um, you know. Preaching the word of God is what we've built the ministry on. So, so we're not out trying to do a lot of neat and cool things. Uh, and so that, that builds the church. So that was the, the first piece of the, um, of, of the sauce, as, as you would say. And the second piece is not to fall into the trap of, yeah, we're going to do this as soon as we get 50 more people. Mm. Because it's, it's like, it's always... Well, you know, we got those other 50, but but we need 50 more. And and so to to just say, we have capped our number. Um, this is this is this is all we are we've we've built for this, and we've actually finished building a, a complex, for lack of a better term, that would 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 house this many people for worship, for Sunday schools, for fellowships, you know. And we just said this is our number. And, and we have not built for any more than that. And so we're either, we either have to build again, which isn't, there's no, me, there's mo, no motivation to that, or plant. And, and yeah. planting now is, is in the mindset of the church. Everybody is thinking through it. The elders own it. Um, church owns it. So Did that take time to develop that to where the people would embrace that as, a, as part of the culture of the church, that this is just something that we do? Yeah, yeah, I think it did, Ken. I think it uh, it took um, before the first church plant. It took probably two years of of kind of uh, of you know of, of training 
um, of talking, and we did a number of different things. We, we do a Bible conference every year, and so we would do a Bible conference on the church and one on church planting and, and, and uh, the elders getting together and talking about it again. That was kind of the first wicket, getting all the elders on board. So it did. It takes it takes a little while, um, but at this point, I I think it's it's not it's it's nothing it's nothing I am driving any, anymore. It is it is embraced, I believe. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, we thank you so much for for joining us today, and uh, for all of our listeners, they yeah. uh, the Church of the Open Door. They have their own podcast called Sheep and Shepherds. <laughs> Encourage you guys to go listen to that. I've listened to several episodes. It's it's a it's intended to benefit the people of your church. Yeah. Yeah. But there is, uh, there's good benefit there for anybody else who wants to listen as well. Yeah. So, Well, thank you guys for letting me uh, say a few things. Yeah, well, thank you for your devotion and ministry. And um, the Lord's using you guys to be an example to others. <laughs> yeah. So it's an yeah. amazing thing. Yeah, amen. Very good. All right, we are back at the IFCA convention with the executive director of IFCA, Dr. Richard Vargas. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Well, uh, we interviewed you last year at the convention, yep. and so anybody who wants a, a fuller discussion of what the IFCA is uh, can can check that out, and um, I think that's a helpful conversation, uh, more long form. It's going to be quicker. But uh, I would like to lead off with this, yep. with the Southern Baptist Convention doing what they're doing, mm-hmm. and perhaps other denominations going to do what they're going to do. <laughs> Some people might look at uh, IFCA International and say, is this a viable landing place for my mm-hmm. church or for me as an individual or whatever? How do you have uh, do you have an elevator pitch for <laughs> here's the difference between IFCA International and the Southern Baptist Convention or IFCA International and the E-Free Church of America? How do you distinguish briefly between those two entities and how do you explain what the advantage is with the IFCA? Okay, sure, yeah. Well, I think that one of the things that are, is pretty important and it's the I in IFCA is that we are independent. So we are not a denomination. And so you have a lot of churches that want to remain independent, and those that are joining, um, like the Southern Baptist Convention, they are obviously independent churches. That would be a critical thing. If you feel more comfortable being in a denomination, then IFC is probably not a good fit for you. But if you're uh, independently minded, you want to be led by where the Holy Spirit's going to lead your church or your ministry, then IFCA may be a good fit. I would also add that... um, We have a specific set of doctrines that we hold to, and so um, there are men and churches that are within these other two associations and others that you didn't mention, and uh, they would be a good fit doctrinally with us. Um, Some of them may be feeling a little bit put out by changes that are happening in their uh, fellowship, their denomination, association, and they may be looking for a change, uh, somebody that is uh, more in alignment with what we believe. And so I think IFCA would probably be a very good fit for them. Um, So within the Southern Baptist Convention, there would be um, churches that would be a very good doctrinal fit because the um, uh, Southern Baptist Convention allows for a broader divergence of doctrines, and and that's fine. That's what they are. Um, Ours is a little bit more narrow, Mm -hmm. and uh, in some ways that might not include everybody that would like to join us, but in some ways that helps us to get into agreement with each other a little bit more easily because dispensationalism is one of the key components of our doctrinal statement. So if you are dispensational, you're going to be amongst a lot of brothers within, say, the SBC or Evangelical Free Church that are not going to be dispensational. And so 
that you, you may have some differences, and that's fine, um, but you wouldn't have that difference within IFCA. Cessationism would be another one. Uh, your view of women in ministry, premillennialism, our eschatology, all those things would be uh, what binds us together. Although there is enough latitude that there are some differences that would allow some freedom for you to do things uh, according to your convictions in your church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, uh, the, the big change in a lot of these denominations has been, of course, a, a more liberal drift. That, that's the way it always goes, right? Uh, right? Incrementally, little by little, over the years, churches or denominations end up more and more liberal. Mm-hmm. If someone is looking at their own denomination and saying, yeah, we've, I can't see the shore anymore. We've really drifted out to sea here. Yeah. Uh, and they say, IFC International, how do I know I'm just not going to get burned again? Right. W- what's your answer to that? How is the IFCA International any more protected from liberal drift than any other group out there? Well, it is a human institution. It is a parachurch ministry in in the truest sense. And uh, I suppose that is a possibility as it is with any others. We were established in 1930, and although our doctrinal uh, statement has been a little more refined, it has not moved from that original 1930 statement. And so what we were when we were founded is really where we are now. It's a pretty complicated thing for us to change our doctrinal statement. Uh, it takes a lot of things to do, and, and because of that, it makes sure that everybody that's within the IFCA uh, has to be involved and has to be in agreement with that change. And so it goes from a uh, proposed change among our board of directors, then it moves on to our convention, and then after it's voted on by the convention, it goes to our 41 different regionals, and they have to ratify it and a majority. And once they've ratified it, then it would be changed. So it takes a lot for us to change our doctrine. We also have all of our members uh, reaffirm annually. So you have to sign on that you're still in agreement Mm. with our doctrinal statement every single year. And is that unique to IFCA as far as practices go? Uh, You know, I don't know. I don't know what the other associations require. I don't either. Um, But I do know that one of the unique things, maybe out there, I'm not sure who would have it, is that like the Southern Baptist Convention, GARBC, Evangelical Free, all of them are uh, churches that sign on to the association or denomination. Um, IFCA has both church and organization and individual membership. So a pastor or a missionary or a layman can join IFCA and they can subscribe to our doctrinal statement. But so can a church or a missions agency or a, a seminary or something like that. They can subscribe to our doctrinal statement. And that helps us to kind of know who we're working with as uh, we're meeting with other pastors or churches or sending our kids to a missions agency or a college or something like that. We really know that we're in agreement, um, at least at the doctrinal statement level. There may be lots of other differences in philosophy and how we function and things like that, but we know doctrinally we're right there together. Okay. Now, you mentioned that we have all these different, there's churches, there's individuals. Most of the individuals are pastors or in ministry of some kind. Yeah. But you mentioned there's laymen as well that are a part of IFCA. Mm-hmm. What would you say would be the main benefit that you would say to a layman who's considering, hey, maybe I should consider membership in the IFCA? It's not, it's not something a lot of laymen would even think, why do I even need this? I'm a part of my local church. I'm a member here. Mm-hmm. What's the benefit for me as a layman joining IFCA membership? Well, I think that there's a lot of laymen who really want to be involved, not in a vocational way, but they want to be involved in ministry and maybe even be involved beyond the doors of their own church. They'd like to see the big picture. 
Um, and some of them are very good businessmen that um, have the means to even do more, and maybe they feel like there's a limitation to the scope of their own church. And so they say, you know, I'd like to be involved in and come to a thing like the convention or be involved with one of the missions agencies, or uh, I want to see some um, help go out, and I can fund that, or I can be involved in that. We see that in movements like Gideon's International, where businessmen are distributing and contributing to the, the uh, spreading of Bibles all over the world. And that's a good example of what a layman can do within IFCA, where they can be involved in uh, directly being a part of not only their local church, but in our regional meetings, where they're fellowshipping with other uh, churches and ministries, or um, agencies, schools, whatever it is, they can be involved in all of that, uh, either directly, through funding, through just participation, praying, lots of ways they can do that. And so we, you know, we want men that are committed to the spreading of the gospel all over the world. We want them advancing the cause of Christ. And if that's what they're wanting to do, it may look different for each one, but we want them to have the opportunity to spread their wings and go as far as the Lord will lead them to do that. And IFCA allows them to be able to do that. What, if you were to, again, sum it up, what kind of people are right for the IFCA? If, if someone's listening to this and thinking, ah, is, is this the organization for me? What's, what's your recruitment appeal uh, yeah. to, to people in that kind of mindset? Well, historically, we've been known as the Bible church movement. And so Bible people, and I know that's not really fair because I was like saying Southern Baptists aren't Bible people or EV free guys aren't Bible people, but really this is the Bible church movement. This comes out of that whole wave um, that came out of the separation between the modernists or the liberals and the fundamentalists. Not the cultural fundamentalists, but the biblical fundamentalists, the ones that did not deny the virgin birth or the inerrancy of the word of God uh, or the need to preach it and spread the gospel. Truly what evangelicals really are, they are fundamentalists. And so our types of people, the ones that are committed to the word of God, they want to see it proclaimed. They want to see it taught. They want to see disciples made. They want to see the church advance. They want to see missions going out and spreading that same message. They're committed. They're hardcore Bible people. And that's who we are. And so obviously there are some tenets, like I said, dispensationalism. And of course, we would say we are literal, grammatical, historical in our hermeneutic. And uh, even those of our brothers that don't agree with us would say they are literalists. <laughs> and we are. We are. And that, that puts us back into that camp of being hardcore Bible people. If it says it, we believe it. Amen. And so um, that, those are our people. And so it's a wonderful thing because... Really, historically, throughout modern church history, if you look at the, the drift of the church into liberalism, it has not come out of the fundamentalists. It has not come out of the dispensational mm. camp. It has mainly come out of those that have allegorized or have done something else than the literal interpretation of Scripture. Because once you're able to yeah. drift from the literal meaning, then yeah. the Bible can mean anything or nothing. Mm. And so you don't really see liberalism coming out of fundamentalism. Mm. Man, very good. We're so very grateful if you joined us today. And yeah. Well, thank you guys for the time. Enjoy the rest of the convention. Amen. You too. Good deal.